It is good to be here and good to share. And I hope that my voice isn't too muffled uh, for those that are listening and aren't here or those that are can hear. But it's good to be here and uh, to be encouraged by you and I hope that I can encourage you too. Um, I was very busy fiddling with my phone a little while ago because I've got a Bible uh, app and I was looking for a verse in the Bible that used to be a favourite verse of uh, an older church minister who possibly did preach here. His father was the pastor here many years ago and is buried in the graveyard. And I went and looked for his grave the other day. And his name was Edward Ralph. And uh, the Edward Ralph I knew, who was probably a generation older than me, wherever he went, he took a text. There was one verse of the Bible which he used over and over again. So I want to just share that with you. And it's examine yourself whether you're in the faith, examine yourself. You know, it's a good thing periodically to examine our lives and say, how are we progressing? Are we growing in our faith? Are we learning more? Have we moved on with God? Are we having new experiences from God? When was the last time we had an answer to prayer because we've been seeking his face and, and so on? So really good to periodically just attest. We do that sort of thing at school, exams and and in all sorts of ways, there are periodic tests. And I think it's down to us, test ourselves to see where we're at in our journey of faith. And uh, when I think about that, it always makes me think about two things. Are you old enough to remember Looney Tunes? Can you wave to me if you can remember Looney? Oh, some remember Looney Tunes. Okay. Do you remember the little pig at the end that used to pop up and what it used to say when the piggy came up at the end? Can you remember? That's all, folks. Yeah, Liz remembers. She's giving away her age. That's all, folks. Okay. <clears throat> and I, I think about that. That's all, folks. And uh, I also think, and I know some of you may have heard me speak about it before, about Jimmy Cricket. I hope I've got his name right. The comedian, Jimmy Cricket, an Irish comedian that used to wear his Wellington boots on the wrong feet. And uh, he had he used to have a catchphrase. Now, can you remember what his catchphrase was? That's right. And there's more, and there's more, and there's more, and there's more. And the great thing is <clears throat> that there's more. And, and, and some of that more may be trials and tribulations. Because as Liz was saying earlier, and I'm not sure everybody was hearing, God doesn't make us uh, immune to problems and troubles. They come our way. Uh, shadow cast over my life a few months ago. I think you all know that uh, Doreen died in April. And that was a bit of a shadow over my life when she became very ill with Alzheimer's and she had mobility problems. That was difficult. We all go through times of difficulty. And that's part of it. But God never forsakes us. We dwell under his wings. We dwell under his protection at all times, whatever. But there's more blessing as well. So I want to encourage you to keep going. Okay, it's good to come back and see people who are going on. Some have gone on to glory, but you're still here, and there's some more going on to be going on. Okay, so for me, that's enough to be going on with. And God bless you all. It's great to be here, and I'm sorry I've only been here a brief time. I've seen some of you uh, as I've been traveling around, and it's been a blessing to me, and I just want to say, keep going on. Okay, it's not that's all, folk. It's, and there's more, and there's more, and there's more.
Thank you, Barry, for reminding me. OK. It saves my glasses getting steamed up anyway. <laughs> Which is always a problem, isn't it? It's lovely to see you face to face. I have had very few of these opportunities so far. Nice to see you, Barry. We're going to read from Acts chapter 13, which is where you've got to in your excursions through the books of Acts. Acts 13. Father, we thank you for all sorts of things. Most of all, Lord, that you are our God and we are your people. That when we cried out to you for help, you rescued us. And that you still speak to us, Lord, through your ancient word and through your spirit. So we ask that the two may come together, Lord, and we may know the word of God to us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So Acts 13 and verse 13, they've started on their first missionary journey and they're on their way around. So Luke writes, from Paphos, Paul and his companions sailed to Perga in Pamphylia, that's on the mainland, where John left them to return to Jerusalem. From Perga they went on to Pisidian Antioch. On the Sabbath they entered the synagogue and sat down. After the reading from the law and the prophets, the synagogue rulers sent word to them saying, Brothers, if you have a message of encouragement for the people, please speak. Standing up, Paul mentioned with his, motioned with his hand and said, Men of Israel and you Gentiles who worship God, listen to me. The God of the people of Israel chose our fathers. He made the people prosper during their stay in Egypt. With mighty power, he led them out of that country. He endured their conduct for about 40 years in the desert. He overthrew seven nations in Canaan and gave their land to his people as their inheritance. All this took about 450 years. After this, God gave them judges until the time of Samuel, the prophet. Then the people asked for a king, and he gave them Saul, son of Kish, of the tribe of Benjamin, who ruled for 40 years. After removing Saul, he made David their king. He testified concerning him, I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. From this man's descendants, God has brought to Israel the Saviour Jesus, as he promised. Before the coming of Jesus, John preached repentance and baptism to all the people of Israel. As John was completing his work, he said, Who do you think I am? I am not that one. No, but he is coming after me, whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. And that's where we finish for this morning. You have to wait for another Sunday before you can hear the rest of Paul's message. Six months into the coronavirus pandemic, and people are asking, will it ever end? Losing a job brings anxiety. Illness causes distress. Loneliness generates fear. Separation from loved ones causes sadness. Business collapse brings despair. And this is not to mention the heartbreak of bereavement. Brian Dirksen wrote the song, Jesus, Hope of the Nations. Without wanting to sound superficial or simplistic, that is the truth. Jesus is the hope of the nations. 
If you've ever stood near someone needing urgent medical attention, you'll know the huge sense of relief when the ambulance turns up and the paramedic steps out and walks up and said, it's okay, we'll take over from here. We have all know the picture of the scene where you've got a small child distressed and crying when she's reunited to one of her parents who gathers her into his arms and says, it's okay, I'm here now, you're safe. We read the Bible with the benefit of hindsight, but sometimes it's useful to imagine yourself in the situation of the people who are actually listening to this. The people in the synagogue at Pisidian Antioch probably don't have much idea of what Paul is going to say. Of course, this is some years after Jesus died, rose, to get, uh, rose from the dead and ascended into heaven. But nonetheless, word is percolating out, but he wants to bring a message. And for centuries, the Jews have been waiting for their promised king. God promised David that your house and your kingdom shall endure forever. That was way back in the early years of the monarchy. God said, this isn't the end. There's a future day coming when your house and someone from your house will rule over a kingdom forever. What a promise to hold on to. But in the following years, in the years that followed that promise to David, the people suffered the bitterness of civil war and the breakup of the nation. The ten northern tribes were completely lost as they were absorbed into the Assyrian superpower. And the exile of the remainder headed off to Babylon. In Babylon, where Daniel is asked to interpret a dream of a king, he again prophesies to the king and by doing that prophesies to God's people that a kingdom is coming that will never be destroyed, nor will it be left to another people. It will in self endure forever. What a comfort for the dark days that were coming. And they were dark days for 500 odd years. The people, though returned to the land, would live under the jurisdiction and power of whatever was the superpower of the day. And they longed, they yearned, they waited for the hope of the one to come, the one promised who would save them, save their nation and fulfill all God's promises. The book of Proverbs says this, hope deferred makes the heart sick. So you can imagine after 500 years beyond the latest promise, still no answer how heart sick the Jewish people were living through the oppression. Had God abandoned them? Had God forgotten them? It isn't for us 500 years, just a mere five or six months. But people get the feeling that they've been abandoned. Now try to imagine the excitement of Paul and Barnabas sitting among the congregation in a synagogue, knowing what they know about what God has done in Jesus and on the edge of their seats longing for the opportunity to tell these people what God has done. So when Paul is invited by the synagogue ruler to bring a message of encouragement, if they have one, you could almost imagine Paul leaping to his feet with a broad grin all over his face, 
to say this. God has brought to Israel the Saviour Jesus as he promised. What he wants them to know is as if God is saying to them, it's okay, I'm here, you're safe now. And he gives them a little story of their history. You can almost see him skipping over huge chunks of that history because he just longs to get to this bit where he says, what God has promised, he has fulfilled though it has taken hundreds and hundreds of years. In this whole speech, Paul makes a number of important points which you will find out about as you go through it. But the passage for today just ends with this one, this central promise. God has brought to Israel the Saviour Jesus as he has promised. All that God promises, he will do. And in the midst of such things as these, where we feel the darkness and the pain and the sorrow, where clearly no one really knows what to do, no one really knows what's going on, everyone's giving it their best shot, trying hard to work things out, but no one really knows. God is the hope for the nations. So when Paul speaks to them and speaks about their history, he wants to remind them that God takes time. Through all those long years, God had them in mind. So he recaps for them their nation's history, a history they would know very well indeed, and they will be able to fill in the background for every word he speaks. To us, we have to think a little harder, but to a Jew, they rehearse this history at least every Passover and probably much more often than that. They were well versed in it. It wasn't about them there when God happened to them. They always spoke as if it was them in the midst of this issue. So the first six books of the Bible are skipped over in a mere four verses. But when he speaks about our fathers, they will be thinking of Abraham. They will be thinking of Isaac and Jacob, of the promise of blessing to them and through them to the world. They will remember the long time of settling into the promised land and then the migration to Egypt at a time of great famine. These are events that are seared into their memory. When he talks about the people prospering in their stay in Egypt, they will remember those good times and then the enslavement that came upon the people for those long, long years, back-breaking slavery. So when he mentions that God with mighty power led them out of that country, they will call to mind the Passover event. They will call to mind all that they celebrate each year of God's marvellous, strong deliverance, which always looked with hope to a future time when God would do it again. They would blush with shame when they were reminded by Paul that God endured their forefathers' wicked and ungrateful contact in about, for about 40 years in the desert, they will cringe with the thought of this ungrateful nation. But how often have they been like that in the years since? But they did get to the promised land. And God's promise of leading them from Egypt and into the promised land came about. And he breaks into his narrative here to tell them that all this took 400 and 50 years. That's a thought that our generation have to remember. God can click his fingers and it all happens, but he works through 
human history. Things take a long time, but just because they take a long time doesn't mean to say that God's forgotten or abandoned them. Moses and Joshua, giants of the faith, are also not mentioned, but they had the honor of leading the people up to and into the promised land. And the ensuing years were not easy. But God brought them through. Once again, they feel the shame when Paul reminds them of the judges. If there's a depressing book you want to read in the Bible, it's the book of Judges. Never stop at the end. Always read the book of Ruth afterwards. It does lift your spirits. But it was a dark and dismal chapter to their life, which was brought to an end by Samuel the prophet, a man who was able to turn their faces again to God and remind them of the promises and goodness of God. And then we come to the kings. Just two are mentioned. David, the greatest king, is not mentioned before the first king, Saul, from the same tribe as the speaker, who you'll notice his name has changed to Paul and not Saul. Saul had unfortunate connotations to Greeks in those days. So though Saul was a man who looked every inch a king, inwardly he had no heart of a king, and he was taken from the kingdom or the kingdom was taken from him nonetheless says Paul he ruled for 40 years notwithstanding that another delay in the purposes of God just because things take time does not mean that God has forgotten hold on to God the theory is doesn't always work like this the theory is when God has made a promise and today is not fulfilled our heart should lift because if not today then it could be tomorrow and one day nearer. And if not tomorrow, then the next day it could be. And as we wait for the coming of the Lord, the theory is our hearts should lift every day. As we think, if not today, then I'm nearer to the coming of the Lord. Often it works the other way around, doesn't it? We give God two or three days, and after that we give up on him. And actually we could hold on to him. When God finally removes Saul and appoints David, he says to him, I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. And he is the man who gets the promise that one of his descendants would sit on the throne forever. It will be a kingdom like no other kingdom, ruled by a king like no other king. So the coming of Jesus is in the succession of the kings. The career of Jesus is in fulfillment of prophecy. This is the man who fulfills the promises of God. He is long awaited, long expected, and he fulfills the destiny of the Jewish nation and the hope of the world. For the Jews were meant to be the blessing to the world. So the king is here. What relief, what joy that the kingdom of God has come. And before he left them, Jesus said to his disciples, you are to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. That doesn't mean that every time they see someone, they give them their testimony. There's a place for that. Paul will do it. But that's not what he means. He means you are my ambassadors. You represent me. You witness to who I am. I have come, the hope of the nations, and the disciples of Jesus are those who represent him, are the ambassadors of him with his power and authority to declare to the nations the hope of the world. In him we put our trust. So Barnabas and Paul, Paul and Barnabas, 
go as ambassadors of Jesus. And Paul is overthrilled. He just can't wait to speak about this. He just wants to tell everyone there is a king and his name is Jesus and he brings life and hope and goodness into the world. The going through the history of the Jewish nation reminds us that God is a God of grace. He chose Abraham, Isaac and Jacob because of his grace. He delivers Israel from slavery because of grace. He brings them into the promised land because of grace. He is all of grace. It's not to do with themselves. Moses would remind them on the edge of the promised land it was not because they were a great nation, because they were one of the least. God loved them because he loved them, because he loved them. God doesn't choose us because we are wealthy, successful, powerful, or with any other advantage. Indeed, God goes for the weak and the broken and the poor because they seem to be able to respond to him more. But through the ups and downs of their history, God has been with them and has not abandoned them. We will not always understand his ways, nor his timings, but all he does is in love. So this is still the day of grace. God still reaches out in love. And all those who call on the name of the Lord still will be saved. God is faithful and true. Saul was disobedient. He was acting as a politician rather than a godly man. And that was why the kingdom was removed from him. Earthly kingdoms work by the system of fear, greed and the promise of security. That's how you govern a people. You keep them in fear. You stimulate greed and then you supply that greed. And then they are dependent on you. The Messiah, the God's King, would work by a completely different principle. If Satan's way is external to impose his will upon others, God's is not, is to draw out our willing obedience from within. If Satan's way is coercive, making us do things, God is not. He offers us. He offers us life in all its fullness. God's way is commitment to a transformation from the inside out and he will only do it with the permission of the human being involved. He will never impose it upon others. It looks like weakness. It looks like abdication. The master of the universe would become powerless before a squad of soldiers. He who could have 12,000 angels at the stroke of his fingers. To wipe everything out does not do that, but surrenders to them. But God made himself weak for one purpose alone, that human beings would choose him freely and what to do with him. He made it possible for us to decide what to do with God. Here's a quote. God took an awesome risk when he stretched himself out on the dissection table, a risk he seemed to welcome. It was almost like he said, examine me, test me, you decide. How vulnerable is that? So the king who comes won't be like Saul, disobedient, won't even be like David, who for his great earnest desire to follow God still fell so deeply into sin. This one would be sinless, humble, faithful, true, vulnerable. A king like no other king, ruling over a kingdom like no other kingdom. And he has come. So Paul reminds them that before Jesus came, John came with an offer. Repent and believe. He didn't force anyone. He challenged people strongly, but he didn't force anyone. 
All the people, even the tax collectors, we're told, when they heard Jesus' words, acknowledged that God's way was right because they had been baptized by John. But the Pharisees and the experts in the law rejected God's purpose for themselves because they had not been baptized by John. All those who responded to John saw who Jesus was. But those who didn't respond to his message refused to believe. I have sadly in my life witnessed people waiting for an ambulance when the ambulance arrived and they are clearly in need of medical assistance. Refuse it. Why would you do that? But I've watched people do that. Walk away. Whatever for, I don't know. We all know of people who in extremists refuse the comfort and help of family and friends freely offered. Why do they do that? Because we are human beings with the power to choose. And even people given the option to choose for life rather go for death. The gospel is good news for the poor, Jesus said. Freedom for the prisoners. Recovery of sight for the blind. Release for the oppressed. This is the year of the Lord's favour, he says, and it still is the year of the Lord's favour. Jesus comes to bring hope. Although many don't, a whole lot do, cry out for help and look for hope. Lewis Smead says this, Hope is to our spirits what oxygen is to our lungs. Lose hope and you die. They may not bury you for a while, but without hope you are dead inside. The only way to face the future is to fly straight into it on the wings of hope. Hope is the energy of the soul. Hope is the power of tomorrow. Here's another quote that just these wonderful quotes from Christian folk. In this sad and weary time we're going through of lament. Lamenting is therapeutic. We should weep over what the nations are going through. We should weep over the brokenness. This is not the world that God has wanted. It's the world that we have made. And to lament over it is therapeutic. And we can be completely real with our Father in heaven. We can weep before him. We can cry. We can call out to him. We can shout. We can ask God to change it. He knows our hearts. Yet in our lament, the path to rekindling true hope lies in the possibility of focusing on the character and immensity of God. Greater is he that is in us than the pandemic that is in the world. Join in with the ancient words of Psalm 42. Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God. I will yet praise him, my saviour and my God. And that's the message that Paul brought to that group of people meeting in that synagogue on that Sabbath day. Jesus, the hope of the nations, has come. God has brought to Israel and to the world the saviour, Jesus, as he has promised. And this is the hope that you and I bring to a world that doesn't know where to turn and is crying out for help. Let me pray. Father, thank you that in a world of despair, you are our hope. In a world of darkness, you are our light. In a world of sorrow, you are our joy. Help us to share the hope of our hearts with one another. 
Enable us to give hope to others through your work among us. Use us to transform our nation and to spread your hope to every corner of this nation. May our land flourish by the preaching of your word and the praising of your name. Holy God, our only hope is in you. We thank you for the past, trust you for today, and believe for the future that all your promises will come to pass and we can rest forever in your love through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.